Hi, and welcome to EC Honestly with Kayla and Lisa. Here we discuss the ups and downs of working in the field of early childhood education. So listen, hopefully learn, and enjoy. Before we begin, um, I would like to acknowledge with gratitude that we live, work, and learn on the unceded and traditional territory of the Coast Salish, Kwekwetlem, Tsleil-Waututh, Squamish, and Stolo peoples. So on this week's episode, I have the honor of speaking to Morna Valentine. So who I'm not mistaken is the executive director of the Child Care Now or the Child Care Advocacy Association of Canada. So That's welcome. Right. Thank, you. Thank you. So Morna, tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, what inspired you to be, uh, if I'm not mistaken, you are an advocate for the Affordable Child Care Plan, which is essentially the same idea as the $10 day, but from a federal um, level as opposed to a provincial. Yeah, so the, our organization was founded in 1982 and was then founded, it was actually at that time known as the Daycare Advocacy Association and then had a name change and became the, um, the Child Care Advocacy Association for Canada. And then the last couple of years, we changed our name again to Child Care Now, in part just to reflect the urgency of the problem uh, that needs to be solved, uh, in our view, by government. And um, I got involved in advocating for changes in child care um, about 36 years ago when I was pregnant with my first child. Wow. And it was only once I was pregnant that I, it, I realized that early learning and childcare, what we call early childhood education then, mm -hmm. um, was not actually organized in my community or anywhere at that time, the way the public education system is organized. I just sort of assumed uh, when I was pregnant and had at that time only 17 weeks of maternity leave, parental leave didn't even exist then, wow. that um, when it was time to go back for work, I would just sign up um, with a local authority and that I would get a childcare spot and that it would be free and really good quality and I could go back to work. Um, and just found out that, of course, is not at all the case. Um, and back then, it was licensed childcare, especially for infants. Um, and because I had to go back to work, uh, you know, after a very short maternity leave, I had a young infant mm -hmm. uh, to find care for, and it was just not available. Um, and uh, also incredibly expensive. Um, I did, in the end, manage to get a spot in a licensed uh, parent co-op. Wow. And uh, really fortunate. And but I realized that if more people didn't start speaking out and changing this, then, um, you know, nobody would be in this same situation I was in, which was an incredibly lucky situation of having high quality care, but extremely expensive, even then. Absolutely. It was $1,000 a month. And that was a long time ago. Wow. It's <laughs> And this is amazing because speaking to Sharon yes, uh, the other day, she also mentioned how it's, it's, it's amazing, yet it's also very unfortunate that the stories very much run parallel. Um, you know, it's uh, usually always uh, a mother looking for care, needing care for her child, sort of going through this dilemma of, I need to work in order to provide for this new child that, you know, that I'm, that I've had 
but I also don't have that, um, that security to know that they're going to be safe and taken care of. And now I'm in this panic for lack of better words to, to find that so that I know that my child is safe so that I can go to work so that I can be a provider for them. Yeah, exactly. And you know, my story started 35 years ago. It's a story from 35, 36 years ago, but um, really it's a story that goes way, way back further than that. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, in fact, this month, this very month, and in fact, it was last week, we, um, it was, uh, we sort of celebrated the 50th anniversary of the uh, submission of the Royal, the report of the Royal Commission on the Status of Women. Mm -hmm. And, you know, this was, uh, this was a report that was, uh, well, this, it was, it was, the Royal Commission was established then by the federal government to investigate the status of women. And uh, one of the findings, of course, of the Royal Commission on the Status of Women is that uh, women who are experiencing, uh, you know, serious problems of economic security and equity. Mm -hmm. And one of the major factors contributing to that was the lack of access to affordable, high quality childcare. Mm -hmm. And at that time, 50 years ago, recommended the establishment of a Canada-wide uh, system of early childcare education. And um, it's, if you, you know, go back to that report and look at the recommendation, as you were saying, and, and, and also the findings of the report, you'll, you'll see that, you know, this has been the story for a very long time. Mm -hmm. So it's basically almost not really much has changed in those 50 years since well, this report was given. I would say some has changed. I think there mm -hmm. has been quite a bit of change, but um, the change that it ha has happened has not been what we would call systemic change. Right. Um, so there, you know, in the last 50 years, governments were, have been forced to kind of put patches on, on the problem. Um, a lot of band-aid solutions to the problem of uh, the, you know, problems of affordability, problems of inclusion, uh, problems of quality, um, access, and so forth. But really, um, they have been just band-aid solutions. And so, you know, what we experienced through the, through the pandemic, for example, was, you know, band-aids don't work. Mm -hmm. um, they, they, they really, you know, what we really need is some big change because if you don't have a system in place and a robust system in place, what you have instead is a lot of fragility. And during the pandemic, we, that fragility was just, you know, laid bare for everybody to see. Right. So it's almost like it took, um, I know the one thing that I, that I always said, um, especially when this, we were just at the height or beginning of this pandemic was that it was really unfortunate how it took, it, it literally took a, a, a forest fire, a dumpster fire, just something so insane to happen in order for childcare to finally be deemed as necessary. And here in BC, for the premier to address us as essential workers when we have we were never like i i personally don't ever think i've ever read about this or heard about um early childhood educators being deemed as essential and yet we're still not taken as seriously and we're not given that same level of respect you know if uh 
if we're going to pull out of this um, out of this pandemic, um, you know, be it well, I, I would say more than anything um, in in terms of economics or economic recovery. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because if you you know if you look at um, employment levels of women mm -hmm. in the paid in the paid workforce, you can see that you know there's a dramatic increase in participation rates over the last four decades. Um, it's really it's really been one of the biggest changes, of course, uh, of our of our economy and our and our yeah, our economy, and also it's it's had an impact just about in everything and then the large number of women who are actually in the paid labor force. Um, but that big change in the economy has really been on the backs of women. Yes. Um, that, you know, the one thing that really has not changed in the last 50 years is the reliance on women and particularly women's either free or very badly paid labor to do the caring and education work of young children mm -hmm. and and also of elderly uh, of yeah. elderly family the parents as well of elderly family members and you know that that's when you look at increases in participation rate of women in the paid labor force and you look at the increase in licensed childcare it, it you know the, the two don't go hand in hand there's this big big divergent gap between the two and what that means is that large numbers of women, in fact, the vast majority of women who are in the paid labor force and have young children are having to turn to informal, unregulated, inadequate, unreliable, unstable, and sometimes extremely dangerous and poor quality arrangements for the care of their children. Um, you know, and the licensed childcare sector um, has also really functioned and survived again on the backs of the low wages of, 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 of women. Um, you know, it's a sector that employs almost exclusively women. It's a sector that is incredibly poorly paid, especially relative to the qualifications required. Um, so, you know, we really, we, we really see that from all sides, really, it's women who have had to shoulder um, the, the big gaps, the big deficit um, right. in, in early learning and childcare. And based on everything that you're saying there, I almost want to say that, you know, the, the number one thing that keeps coming back is, you know, women are driving, are the main, um, you know, educators in the field of education. Um, you know, we're, we're the main caregivers. And I want, I almost want to point to say that, is it because in we're basically fighting generations of societal views to say that care is something that every woman every woman is is capable of doing or not even capable of doing but it's our destiny to be you know the the mothers the the caregivers the provide you know the nurturers the providers and so based on that societal lens that's um is that a is that a factor into why maybe there's not as much respect in this uh, in this field, or why all those problems that you were saying have arisen? Well, I mean, it's it's certainly convenient um, to perpetuate for governments and others to perpetuate um, 
the view systems that rely on the view that women should be the ones who are taking care of young children. There, there's no question. But, yeah. you know, it's interesting. Uh, if you look at some other, the history of some other professions, which are caring professions where they have been female dominated professions, one of the ways to actually change that attitude and actually bring in gender diversity into professions is to pay more. <laughs> so, you know, you see that, for example, in teaching. Yeah. And although um, elementary teaching, there's still a lot of women in the profession, um, through the process of unionization in, in specifically, and through, you know, real movement to uh, raise the standards of, of teachers, the qualifications of teachers, but also the professionalization of, of teachers, we've seen more men enter enter the profession mm -hmm. so um i think that's really i think really what what explains the situation is that it's it saves a lot of money yes on the governments save a lot of money um and others save a lot of money by ensuring that the care of children is done by either free labor or cheap labor. Absolutely. And everything else falls, follows from that. So I guess that kind of brings me into my next question. Um, so we know that Quebec is kind of the, what the province that we look to when we talk about affordable childcare. From my understanding, affordable childcare was introduced in the late 90s. Yeah. Is that correct? Yeah. A bit um, earlier than that, but yeah, late 90s. The, the movement started a bit earlier, but yes. So uh, just before we kind of dive into this, why does Quebec have um, affordable childcare and why is it not a federal, but it seems to be more of a provincial uh, push versus something that all Canadians should have? Or is Quebec well, the only uh, province that we know, that I personally know of that has affordable childcare? Yes, I mean, I think the important thing about Quebec is that it's affordable, it's certainly important, but what is really important about Quebec is that it is that the, the government at the time decide, made a political choice and a political decision that it would start providing and organizing early learning and childcare as a public service mm -hmm. uh, and that it would publicly fund the supply of childcare and it would publicly manage the, the supply of childcare. And as a result of that decision, this service or the, the, the early childhood education that was made available was affordable. Um, there are different ways of making childcare affordable. Mm -hmm. But what we had in Quebec was not just an issue of affordability. Most importantly, what happened is a government pursued a policy of public funding and public management with respect to the supply okay. of childcare. Wow. So you can make childcare affordable or more affordable, for example, by focusing on what we call the demand side, by focusing on the parents 
Mm -hmm. uh, of children and making the fees more affordable by providing them some subsidies. Right. Um, right. And that's what most governments have done, provincial and territorial governments in Canada. Mm -hmm. What the Quebec government decided to do was address the issue of affordability, lower the cost to individual families by publicly funding the supply. And that's the key difference. And that's, that's the essential element of the childcare plan and strategy that we're calling for, is that we want childcare to be publicly funded and publicly managed, the supply side. And through properly funding and organizing the supply of childcare, then what governments can do is actually make it available to parents at an affordable cost or at a fair cost. Then governments can get into the, separately the decision of, okay, it's gonna cost us this much amount of money to make childcare available to everybody. Right. Then we can have a discussion about how much should the individual parent who accesses the system contribute to the cost of the provision of childcare. Mm -hmm. And then another question governments can say is, if, if families, if parents should have to pay or some, something towards the cost of the provision of childcare, how much should it be? Should it be based on individual income? Should it be based on household income? Should it be in the form of paying back the money that the government pays? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and should it be done through the tax system? Or should it be done by actually paying an invoice from the childcare center, but these are separate questions, right. and this is all you know. These are this would all be questions that need to be addressed if a government decides to actually design a publicly funded and publicly managed childcare system. So but right now, those debates, until recently, those debates really haven't happened right. in a serious public way. So, so essentially, what we're trying to move is this move away from this idea that childcare is. I guess a luxury item that people should have and versus like, or a private, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Yeah, yeah. Uh, something private private or, yeah, yeah. Uh, versus something public, much like the education system that should be available to everybody. Yeah, yeah. What we talk about is that right now, for the most part everywhere in Canada, childcare is treated like a commodity that's bought and sold on a market. Yes. Right? <laughs> Yep. And it's not organized and funded and regarded and treated like it's a public good, a common good, something that should really be um, paid for collectively and organized in a way that meets collective and broad public policy objectives as opposed to it just being seen as a private thing. You right. know, you have a kid, it's your problem to figure it out. And you see, it's really contradictory because, you know, as an economy, as a society, we, ha we don't do that for everything. So when it comes to children, we don't do that once the child hits four or five, year old, five years old, depending on what province or territory you look in. You know, we have public kindergarten programs. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, and we don't do it for healthcare. Mm -hmm. We have rejected, we have 
rejected several times this notion that healthcare should be available through voucher system, you know, where we give everybody some money and they go and shop for healthcare. Right. And we don't do it because it doesn't work. Yes. Because that way, first of all, there's going to be a lot of inequity, but there's going to be a problem of supply. Yes. So, and if, as long as there's a problem with supply, then we, then we have problems of affordability. We have a problems of quality. We have a problems of inclusion and everything else. You basically create a domino effect that unless we really got to the root cause, it, nothing's going to get solved. Yeah. Yeah. We actually, we don't have a system. So we need to build a system, right? A, a public system of early childhood education and childcare. And the two should be hand in hand, but it shouldn't just be, it's not about care on the one hand and, and early childhood education on the other. The two, I mean, as you know, as an ECE, you know that the two are completely integrated. Absolutely. Um, they don't, you don't separate those two, those, those, you know, those two factors or. No, not at all. Care and care is education. You can't divide the two. And that's something that we, we preach all the time is to say care will always be a form of education. And my, a really good friend of mine always said that early childhood education is a basis of self, uh, child psychology teaching and it's all wrapped up with love. And that's essentially what we're doing. Yeah. That's in a high quality program. Yes. Of course, there's a lot of poor quality care that really is um, only care. Yes. Um, you know, and, the, and one of the big differences between poor quality and high quality is, is the staff. Is I couldn't agree the more. The qualifications and the approach of those who are actually working in the sector. And I think that also brings about um, sort of kind of coming back to the name changes of the organizations you work with. Why, um, why childcare versus daycare? You know, why are we calling it? To, why are we slowly moving from calling it childcare instead of daycare? Well, when when it's been one of the when when the first sort of shift from daycare to to childcare happened. It wasn't that daycare was considered of less value or less important than childcare. It had more to do with the fact that daycare was meant that it would be only offered during the day. Right. That, was some of the, that was one of the reasons for the shift, which now gets forgotten. That there is a sense, you know, what we advocated for, uh, and we did talk about childcare, and there's a lot of discussion and debate within the within the childcare movement, as there is among ECEs, I'm sure. Yes. About what to call it, right? <laughs> um, and uh, and so, but that was one of the factors why we moved from daycare to childcare is because our vision of how a publicly funded and publicly managed system um, would would be organized is we wanted to make sure it be organized in a that would in a way that where a, a full range of comprehensive uh, programs could be offered. Um, because we have to understand that that the idea of childcare, early learning and childcare, um, is promoted to serve a number of complementary policy, public policy objectives. Mm -hmm. So one is obviously the well-being and development of young children, yes. and that is clearly one of the objectives um, that that you know that we have. Mm -hmm. for a child care, a comprehensive child care system. The other is parents need the support. Mm -hmm. Those who are in the paid labor force and those who are not. Mm -hmm. um, parenting 
is not something you can do well without support. Yes. And of course, without income support, but also without other, all kinds of other support. I mean, I know as a mother and particularly later when my, when my youngest was, um, was just around five, I became a single mother. Mm-hmm. I, but even, even when there, you know, was in a, in a household where we were two parents, I would not have been able to get through without the support of, of all those who work in the, worked in the childcare center. Um, you know, and that those were the, the staff who worked in the rooms where my kids went, you know, right from infant right up to, to preschool room, mm-hmm. um, and then even to the school age program, but also the coordinator, the cook, uh, yeah. the cleaning staff, like it was my whole support network as a parent. And so we can't, so it's not only about having access to support so that you can go to work, yes. uh, you know, which was absolutely crucial for me, but it was also the other forms of support. And then, of course, related to the support, particularly for mothers to be able to continue to get paid income and have young children, it's, it's, it's crucial to, to labor force participation, which is crucial to economic uh, growth mm-hmm. and sustainability for everybody. I mean, governments derive a lot of revenue from the income that women earn. Yes. And uh, we're seeing that, of course, through the pandemic, as, as women have been forced out of the paid labor force by the thousands, government revenues have dropped, the economy has shrunk, and the only way that it's going to recover is for women to be able to get back into the paid labor force, and particularly mothers with young kids. That's a great way of putting it. Um, I, I kind of want to go back to, to this idea of Quebec, again, just because money does talk to people. And, and more importantly, I think, especially in my own experience, it really speaks to the, to the men in my, in my family or that I'm surrounded by. And I think a lot of the times there's a big discrepancy to say, we don't need to invest so much in childcare because, you know, there should be mothers who should take care of their children, or it's sort of this idea that, well, I have grandparents, or I have aunts and uncles, or I have support system, but without that realization that, like you said, not everybody has, you know, a, a family support system that's able to say, okay, I will um, care for your children, and that's wonderful, and, and that's um, people who are able to access that are extremely privileged, but again, much like you said, it's, it's not that this is a bad thing, but it's also to say that childcare and education from from the pre-kindergarten is also something that should be accessible to to all parents. And so I'm I'm curious to know if has there been any have there been any res- has there been any research or studies to say that um, look you know to say look how uh, positively this has impacted this economy. Um, has there been any studies to say, or I mean, anywhere around the world that has said um, having access to quality, affordable childcare has had amazing positive impact on single parent families or families who may not have um, as high a socioeconomic status as others? Or has there been sort of like an equal le- level playing field for people, you know, with post secondary versus people without post secondary? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, there's, there's definitely 
tons and tons of research that have been have, have, has been done. Uh, lots of research addressing all these questions that you raise. Um, first of all, there's all kinds of research. I mean, it's it's pretty much undeniable now mm -hmm. that um, if if childcare is available and accessible and affordable for mothers with young children, then they will be able to participate in the paid labor force. Mm -hmm. And the returns on that increase in participation that comes from having a system of accessible, affordable, and inclusive childcare, um, that increased participation comes, what it does is brings with it higher revenues for governments, but it also has multiplier effects throughout the economy because if, I mean, it's just sort of basic economics and common sense. If more people are earning money, then there, more people have disposable income that can actually be spent um, in other areas of the market which generates economic activity, right? So that, you know, there, there are different studies. Things. Yeah, I mean, different studies have calculated this in different ways. Yes. But in shorthand, you know, for every dollar of public spending on early learning and childcare, the benefits go from three to six dollars, depending on how you how you make the calculation. Mm -hmm. And certainly, all the research from Quebec shows that the cost of the publicly funded system is more than paid for by the government revenue that comes from increased taxes, income taxes, as a result of the increased participation of women wow. in, in the paid labor force. And it's funny because in Quebec, um, all it wasn't just the it hasn't just been the provincial government that has benefited from those that raise in, in tax revenue, but the federal government as well. Because of course wow. every every worker in Quebec pays Quebec income tax and federal income tax. Absolutely. Um, so the there are also all kinds of studies that have looked at the question of social and economic inclusion and what inclusion and one of one of the reasons i mean again there's different approaches to how childcare can be organized and you know several decades ago the predominant view of childcare and public funding of childcare is that it should be targeted right. um, to low income families right. that you know yes we need to we need to help out government you know, government funds should be given, but it's tar it was targeted, and this is still mostly the case, that a lot of the public funding is targeted towards low-income families to help them pay the fees. Mm -hmm. And again, there what we know is that that doesn't deal with the problem of supply. That you, you know, there's, it hasn't, that approach um, to funding childcare has not resulted in a huge expansion in supply. Right. And the other is that it just has never been enough to actually make a huge difference within, you know, with respect to equity, um, economic equity 
between mm -hmm. between households because they're just you know there hasn't been it's not first of all it's not a, it's not a good way to fund right. um, but also it's never it's never resulted in in proper funding and honestly that in part has to do with there's never been overwhelming strong public support for welfare programs and yeah. so if the if funding of childcare is looked at as a well as funding a welfare program you're not going to get the broad public buy-in that you need to actually fund childcare to the extent that it needs to be funded so what we say is you know uh, the problem with programs for the poor is they make for poor programs um, because they don't enjoy and so this is why we stress so much the concept of universality Right. What we say is just like the public education system, just like the health education system, it should be designed so that it doesn't matter what your economic and your social or other status is, you should have complete full access to the program. And it, it has to be designed that way. Um, if you design childcare for the poor, then that's not going to happen. And what you're going to have is segregation and you're going to have racial segregation and all kinds of other forms of segregation in, in the, in the system. And that's, that's the, that's the worst thing for children. It's the worst thing for our society. It's the worst thing for this view that to actually be able to get the best returns, right? you really need a, an, a universal inclusive approach that everybody has an opportunity to benefit from the best and the highest quality programs. So that's why we've always insisted on universality as being a fundamental principle of system design. So in a sense, it's almost like this universality that comes with childcare is also in a sense, a social justice issue. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it's an economic issue. It's a social justice issue. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, I mean, just as a parent, anecdotally, I, I, I've seen that, that, you know, where you, where you have, um, which we don't have much of, but in some programs where you really do have a, a coming together in the childcare center or in the, you know, or in the case of a home provider, where you have kids literally from all walks of life, yes, end up with better programs. Absolutely, right? and kids end up with a richer and better experience, better mm -hmm. social skills, better sense of you know we we're just developing better citizens by taking that approach, uh, than teaching them that somehow a program is going to be limited, you know, by 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 circumstance. Right. You know, by where you live, how much money your parents make, uh, and so forth. So then I almost want to say then that investing in children now from a young age, does that mean that we are investing less later in life, um, let's say in uh, prisons or rehabilitation programs or or those sorts of um, or those sorts of programs that sometimes are needed in the community. Does that sort of does that kind of come down when we invest in all children, regardless of of background, um, from the beginning? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot. There, are, of course, studies that have shown that um, you know the the best start in life 
increases your chances of having the best life. Yes. Um, and, and there's certainly lots of studies that, that support that position. I think it where it becomes dangerous is to say that children who don't go to high quality programs are going to end up in prison. Right. Uh, there, you know, there, it's a, it's always complicated. Yes. Um, you and know, you never want to make ra race, race has much more to, to, is a huge factor in whether one ends up in prison or not. Right. Absolutely. Um, now, of course it's complicated because race is also a barrier for being able to access high quality inclusive programs um, it also, it because it's also related to household income and so forth. So it's all, it's, uh, it's complicated. Yeah. Um, but I mean, certainly it's, you know, it's, it needs, we have to think about early childhood education and childcare is as crucial, as crucial to, and, and it's really, and I think this is why it's so interesting that the pandemic has I think brought about such a broad consensus on this being a good place, a thing for governments to spend money on. Mm -hmm. Because you know, when money is short and when governments have to choose carefully, um, and in particular in this situation of a public health crisis, where, where should we be spending money? Well, they have to look to spend money in areas that are going to help the economic recovery. They are going to have to address, put money into addressing uh, the employment, increase in employment, paid employment of women, because women have been so, so dramatically impacted um, by, by the pandemic. And, you know, spending on childcare checks many boxes. Yes. So it's, uh, that's one of the reasons I think it really is so high in the agenda. So basically affordable childcare would be a crucial factor towards economic recovery. And unless we really make that, that, um, that known now, we're not going to reach economic recovery to the extent that we need to in order to really get out of um, all the effects of what have happened in the last not even year. Yeah, and we just have to be really clear that it's not just about making sure childcare is affordable or the cost is less to parents. That is absolutely critical. But we also have to make sure that, that the spending is done well mm -hmm. and that also that, the, that this is an opportunity not just to make childcare more affordable, to actually build a system of high quality childcare that is also affordable, that is also accessible. We have to do, do the design right. I think this is gonna be, the, this is really what's going to be important over the next, because I think there's pretty broad consensus yes. that money will be spent on childcare. Now the big question is, how is it going to be spent? And how do we make sure that it, the money is spent well, mm -hmm. and that we actually make transformative change in what parents experience right now in terms of access and affordability, also what children experience? Mm -hmm. in, in, in the care that they're, that they're getting. Um, and also we have to do it right to actually get all these economic benefits that governments are gonna be counting on. Right. Um, there's only a certain kind of way to design the system that's gonna give you those economic returns that everybody's counting on, uh, especially now.
Yes. And so kind of uh, that goes into my next question. So um, what are there political parties that are supporting the affordable child care plan? Um, we know of one that Sharon spoke uh, Sharon spoke of here in BC, um, and but again, this is provincial. But now, if we're talking about if we go into another federal, or when we go into another federal election, not if, um, but which political party um, does support affordable childcare, or even how have past government policies impacted the road towards affordable childcare? Well, I'll speak just at the for the federal at the federal level. Mm -hmm. Is that um, there have been uh, there. There have been, you know, a couple of, of times uh, through history federally where federal governments have actually said, yeah, we want to do something about about childcare. Mm -hmm. But the approach for the most part, as I said, has been, been patchwork. And of course, we had the 10 years uh, when Stephen Harper was the prime minister and the conservatives were in power where they said they were going to do something about childcare, and they actually introduced a childcare allowance. But their idea of doing something about childcare was to give cash to parents and tell them, you know, to go figure it find, out, spend it on childcare, spend it on whatever you know they wanted to spend the money on. But right. that was their childcare program. Right. I think what we have right now um, is. A, a much better and different understanding in the part of the federal liberal government about what's needed. Right. I'm encouraged by the recent throne speech because the throne speech spoke about this is the time to actually build a Canada-wide system. So as yeah. soon as I hear system, I think, okay, that's, that's promising. Yes. Um, and, you know, in the past, we've heard promises of spaces we're gonna create X number of spaces. Creating spaces, that's not building a system. No. Building a system is, is a very different thing than creating spaces. It kind of goes um, to the Band-Aid effect. <laughs> exactly. And the other thing that I was excited about in the, the throne speech is the recognition that this was going to require federal leadership. And that's something that we've always said. That yes. the problem with leaving it up to provinces is you get into a situation like we did, that one province addresses the issue in the 90s, and then no other province except more recently British Columbia. Um, you know, that's, that's many years in between. Yeah. <laughs> We've not seen a system building. Um, and, but if you have a federal government that puts system building at the top of its agenda and then puts money to it, then, then we have a much better chance of actually getting system building happening across, across the country. So that's, that was exciting to me that in the throne speech, the federal liberal government talked about sustained, significant long-term funding. So that was really good. And they also said with the objective of making childcare accessible to all, uh, which, which implies affordable, Yes. And it also implies that it's going to be inclusive yep. and they have certainly spoken about quality. So I, and the NDP federally um, in the 2019, so we, we put forward the, uh, our plan, our federal plan for how to make childcare, uh, a, a, how to build a universal system. And we called for federal leadership and a number of other things. The NDP endorsed it completely, fully, including our, our monetary ask. 
um, the liberals at the, during, in the 2019 election uh, did adopt parts of it. And okay. but I would say that they've moved from 2019 to today. They've taken some big steps towards the kind of system building that we'd like to see. And okay. then the Green Party federally was also not as clear as the NDP in its support of our plan, but generally in support uh, of it. Um, so we, you know, we have a situation, we have three national parties of four yeah. who really support in principle. Now, since the pandemic, our financial ask of the federal government has doubled. Of course. <laughs> which, exactly. Yeah. Understandably. Given. <laughs> has to. We, yeah. you know, the sector has been decimated. We, we don't have, in fact, we're, you know, the, the collection of data is so poor in this sector that we can't actually say exactly what's happening at any given time in the childcare sector. But there's certainly some provinces where, you know, only half, half what was available, half the childcare, licensed childcare I'm talking about, that was available to families before the pandemic is still available. And of course, it's not affordable. So even, even where it's available, because families have taken such a big economic hit during the pandemic, it's even less affordable Absolutely. now than it was before the pandemic. So we have a lot of catching up to do. We have a lot of repair, recovery to do. So we need money for that. Yes. Um, but also we need to accelerate the system building. Absolutely. So we have a little bit of work to do with the NDP federally on that. Yeah. We, we, we're still at the 2019. Uh, commitment, which was comp what we were asking for. They agreed with us. We've doubled. We need to see them also double their ask of the of the Liberal government, but I'm sure that will come. Yes. And we'll see what happens uh, in probably next month in the federal economic statement and in the next budget. Amazing. So that um, brings me to my last question then. Does then that mean, would it be safe to say that, does the lack of affordable childcare and safe spaces for children here in Canada mean that we are in direct violation of the UN Convention on the Rights of the Child? Our view is that the, the Universal Declaration of the Rights of the Child entitle a child to access to high quality education and that Canada under that convention and its agreement to that convention really has to deliver on fulfillment of that right. And in fact, we really support this rights-based approach mm -hmm. um, that it, you know, it isn't just about we should do it because it's good for the economy. We shouldn't only do it because parents need it, but because every child has the right um, to the highest quality education and care. Um, that is, that is really is a fundamental piece of it. Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Morna. This has been an amazing chat. I have learned so much that I did not know about, um, especially on the federal level. And I really appreciate you taking the time out um, to speak to me and to also speak to the audience and the listeners so that we can educate ourselves more on what it is, the, what the Affordable Child Care Plan is, why it's important and why it's necessary and why it's essential. Well, it's been a delight. Thanks so much for having me on the show. Thank you so much. Um, before we sign off, is there are there any resources that um, you would like to let our audience know so that they can do their own research? Well, what I would love to do is tell people to go to our website or our Facebook our Facebook page. 
Um, our website is it's time for childcare time We also have a campaign website, which is really important for people to go to. If they support our plan, if they they want to express that support, they can endorse it um, on a campaign website, childcareforall.ca, all one word, childcareforall.ca, and just uh, search us on Facebook. Um, and we try through our website and our Facebook to post all kinds of resources um, for people and they can ask questions and engage. And of course, we wanna also uh, really encourage the BC listeners uh, of your show to support the $10 a day program and to support the advocacy, the incredible advocacy work that is being done in your province. And I don't know when this podcast is being aired, but please get out and vote and vote for childcare. We're um, going to air right before the provincial election. So here's Great. hoping. <laughs> Great. Um, what you do in BC is obviously critical to your province, to the future of your province, to the children in your province, to the parents, to your own economy. But it's also really important to the rest of Canada. Mm -hmm. um, because if the British, if you know, the, the BC NDP government, um, after the throne speech, welcomed uh, the federal government's interest and welcomed the promise of sustained funding. And this, you know, to build a, to build a Canada-wide childcare system, it has to be a cooperative and collective level by different levels of government. So it's really important to have eager, willing provincial partners in the project. And um, the NDP has certainly been that. And uh, but that would be a really important question to ask candidates, uh, you know, when they when they visit or phone, I guess maybe they only zoom now uh, <laughs> to campaign through election is, you know, where, where, where do they stand on, on childcare? Perfect. Thank you so much. Well, I'd like to say thank you to the audience for listening to this week's episode of BC. Honestly, if you have any questions or comments, um, you can always feel free to send us an email at echonestly at gmail.com. Of course, you can always DM us on our Instagram page, which is at echonestly, or you can find us on Facebook, again, at echonestly, or you can like, comment, and subscribe to this video. We, um, again, thank you so much, Morna, for all your information and all of your knowledge, and I... Lisa and I are super excited to also share any resources to the audience um, that uh, do with the affordable childcare plan. Great, thank you. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm.